everybody welcome to the 267th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage and one thing i've learned about myself if i fuck up once i'm gonna fuck up again (laughs) the uh the intro was so smooth until i decided to say what i thought this was a different episode number i was the one who messed up so uh i'm here with dustin late night sunday January 16th, three times rep on NBA 2K, and boy, howdy, I got frustrated with how much I lost. <laughs> Let's get a little, it's been it's been a minute since we've had a little bit of a Sage's 2K corner uh, care to share. Um, so this is season four. A lot of people uh, saw the what the rewards were for the battle pass and got hyped, but those people that are no life like myself, if you complete the battle pass four times, you become a legend in 2K. And I've been a legend before, but it was a lot of hustling, like dedicating myself to one game. This is just four seasons of committing a little bit and you get it. And the reward for when I got legend was I got a lion and like a jet pack and stuff like that. The reward for legend this year is a parrot that gets to hang out on your shoulder. So people are just outraged with the, the lack of like cool shit creativity yeah yeah i mean any any time you play a game you're doing it for your own personal entertainment but you're putting in a lot of hours and when you try to reach that pinnacle and it doesn't meet or exceed your expectations you really feel a sense of like what the hell did i just say they they deceived us i mean i'm gonna play i'm i'm you know i have to continue playing it like it's the it's the ultimate form of relaxation for me so just play 2k and hang out i'm trying to see how many hours i put into this game for uh you to judge me harshly on is that the only game you're currently playing uh no actually uh i will be streaming for the first time in like five months and uh dark moosey uh and I are going to play Fortnite, and uh, the stream title will be We're Too Old to Play This Game. <laughs> Let our listeners know where they can watch that. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Desage. So, yeah, check me out. It, it, it should be a lot of fun. I haven't, I haven't streamed in, in a long time. I, last time I streamed, it was NBA 2K22 or 21, whatever the, the year before this one was. I, I'm with you though uh, on, on the video games. Uh, Olga got got us a Nintendo Switch for Christmas and Super Mario Party, and we've been playing that quite a bit. We beat the game, but now we're doing like the uh, there's a partner mode where you can basically go two versus two, and all of like the boards you can play like the the board games, and they can take just like a couple of hours for each game to complete. Like, grab a couple of beers, have some pizza. Uh, just kind of zone out and like get super competitive when you're uh, when you're trying to get the, the dub. Um, it's super fun. Um, went four and zero on all of those boards, and already are looking at like getting the Mario Party like superstars. Like it's just a fun game to play with with someone like that you enjoy their company with, and it's just it's, it's a great like you said it's a great relax it or relaxer and you can just kind of zone out and it's just something to look to look forward to it was also a um a nice treat we we had quite a bit of a battle with our upstairs 
uh, tub, the drain. And I think we conquered it, but we're like, okay, we deserve some beers and we deserve some video games after that. So uh, it was much needed. I need you not to judge me. I, I really need you not to judge. I don't me. judge you. I've played NBA 2K22 for 22 days, five hours and 38 minutes. <laughs> I think that is a good thing, especially during a pandemic when staying at home is the cool thing to do. So I actually applaud you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, yeah, I haven't touched grass in a while, but I'm good at NBA 2K. I just need competent teammates around me. So that was a nice little transition into the week that was for the Portland Trailblazers. It was a quiet week in terms of the amount of games played. Portland kicked off their six-game road trip with a 32-point defeat in the Mile High City against the Denver Nuggets, 140-108. to Bounced back with a victory in the nation's capital against the Washington Wizards, 115 to 110. Sage, the Blazers are winners of three of their past four games. They are sitting at 17 and 25 in the Western Conference, which is 10th, the last and final play in berth if the season were to conclude today. Two games in the last column behind the Clippers, but three games ahead of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, in the lost column for that that last lottery spot. So they're kind of in no man's land. They have, uh, I think, a very un- uncertain future ahead of them with the trade deadline, with, with Damian Lillard's surgery uh, and everything that can kind of happen with the health and safety protocols. But given all of that, what was your good for the week? Um, hmm. I think I would have to go with Yusuf Nurkic establishing dominance against uh, another uh, center in the league. And then Anthony Simons having a very, very high ceiling first half where he got 25 of his, I think, 30 points in that first half. I mean, that's the recipe for the Blazers to compete is uh, get onto the free throw line pretty quickly. But having Yusuf Nurkic uh, just draw a lot of fouls and then Anthony Simons score a lot. Um, one thing that I've, we've been winning games and that's excellent. Like if you're into the whole development of players things, but let, let's talk about the last few wins. We played the Kings without Rashawn Holmes and they're bad. They, they, they deserve the loss, but then we played the Brooklyn Nets without James Harden on a back-to-back where they traveled from San Antonio to Portland. And then they uh, beat the uh, the Wizards without Bradley Beal. I don't think that there's a good win in any of our last few games. It's just who has been available for each game is who we're playing. So, like, it's great that Ant's having explosive quarters and explosive halves and Yusuf's playing well, but I don't really find that any of our wins that we've won are quality wins when you really think about all the circumstances surrounding the games, but to see Ant and Yusuf play well and Nasir contribute is great. I just don't expect us to have many wins in the win column. The NBA normalizes with, uh, you know, people coming back from uh, player safety and just plain old injuries. So um, if your team take tank, if your team tank expect a lot more losses, but I think we're going to see a lot of development. So you mentioned uh, Yusuf in your good. And uh, last week we were discussing how he always tries to get up for the games against Jokic. And 
he was really a non-factor in, in that performance uh, against Nicola. Uh, 10 points, eight rebounds, six assists, only really played half the game. The game was long uh, concluded but before anything could have really materialized. Can you blame Nurk for that performance or was that more or was that more of a product of just just too depleted like that this is that without Anthony Simons I felt like that was a tanking squad like there was nothing that that Nurkic could do because I mean it was really if you know you watched and listened to the game Jeff Green and Compazzo really kind of took over that game here's the thing it's a team sport it's not one person's fault and one person's triumph it's the entire team but when you look at who was available in, in terms of guards, it was Dennis Smith Jr., Ben McLemore, and Tony Snell. And, and Kelgen no, Blevins. Blevins played 15 and a half minutes. Good for him. I just don't think of him as a usable guard. No, but so, I would say like size-wise, he's a guard. Yeah, but th- isn't his best quality rebounding from the guard position? No, I don't blame Yusuf at all for that. That like we were too depleted, and it's a team sport. You can't like it's everybody's fault. It has to be a collective. It can't be. We're not the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson's parents where it's make make our special boy happy. Everybody is at fault. So, no, it's not Yusuf's fault that we lost. I would have loved it if he got 10 rebounds because I had a player prop on him. And I would have loved it if Nasir Little got more rebounds that game, too. But, no, it's nobody's fault. If you look at that squad, it was destined to lose, and it was destined to lose on national TV, which has to be feeling uh, make the the fan base, the collective fan base, feel a little bit more shitty about that at that particular game. So, no, it's not Yusuf's fault. I would say my good for the week is a combination of of Anthony Simons and the Seer Little, and kind of their chemistry and I think how they kind of balance one another out in terms of the hierarchy of basically the hierarchy uh, on the roster, you know, with, with no Dame, no CJ, no Norm. It's it's really those two are 1A and 1B. Um, Nurk's always going to be there to kind of provide like a calming presence. But when I watched the game against Denver, there was no Anthony Simons. And you could, it was great that Nasir took the initiative to, to be aggressive, but I felt like he was he was playing outside of his skill set, doing things that he's not ready to do. And you could really tell in some of the shots he was taking, some of um, the turnovers, you know, doing things that you're not accustomed to seeing him do during this developmental season. Um, you know, four of 12 shooting, you know, three of 10 from downtown. That That is not Nasir's game. A lot of them were off of the pull-up. It just, everything kind of came out of the offense. But again, I'm not blaming him. There, there was no one there. Like it was, I mean, like I said, that was a tanking squad without Anthony. However, you go to Saturday when Anthony returns, Ant is now the focal point of the defense. He's still able to put up 31 and 11 on 50% shooting from three, 52% shooting from the field. And I think that makes Nasir's job a little bit easier. He's able to focus on his defense and he's able to take more quality shots. You can see the three points, three point attempts down from 10 to three hits two of three from downtown, six of eight overall, 18 points kind of fills, fills up the scoring in a very effective and efficient manner. So I, I really thought they're kind of reinforced the fact that 
okay, Nasir is going to be a really promising player, but he's not ready to be the man yet. And I don't think anybody was calling for him to be that. But when you're starting to value players, you have to kind of gauge where they're comfortable being in terms of the role. Can they play different roles? Uh, it looks like right now, Amphony is comfortable being the lead alpha, uh, the lead guard, the guy who's going to set everybody up, the guy who's going to take the shots, and people are going to kind of fall in line. When he wasn't there for the Nuggets game, it almost felt like they knew they were going to get housed, and it, it was um, pretty apparent from, from the jump that that's what was going to happen. But I thought it was good that you could start to – because. When you have a team, when you're building a team, and we've talked about this, you need players who are going to kind of fit into certain roles. You can't have a group of five that are going to be out there saying, hey, I need 20 shots every single night. You can't just have, you know, five rebounders. So if that's all they do, it's got to be a nice mix and match. So I think those are two pieces that fit. Um, the goal, obviously, is to find the other three. Projecting Nasir Little out. Can he ever be the primary ball handler on the court or is he more of a secondary secondary attack? Maybe on the break once in a while. I don't think you really want him in a dream on green type of role. Um, I think Nasir little. It's hard to project out because he's still so young, but if he can get to. Mikhail Bridges status where I don't know if Mikhail Bridges is ever going to be an all-star. He's a fantastic player, and he's someone you absolutely need on a championship-building team. But I think of Jerome Kersey. Jerome Kersey was never an all-star, but he upped his game when the, the, the lights were the brightest. He was the hustle guy. He was the heart. He was the energy. He did all the dirty work, and he was necessary for that team to succeed. You need players like that, and if Nasir can be anything like Jerome Kersey, that, that is a player you keep around until they don't want to be around anymore. I, I just don't see him as that primary. And I think that kind of lowers his ceiling quite a bit when you don't have any chance of being that primary guy. I think that artificially lowers your ceiling on what you can do just because setting players up is like the most valued skill in the NBA to kind of be topped out at that secondary playmaker status. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of great players that, are secondary playmakers, but I think that lowers the ceiling from like, I, I remember like earlier in the summer saying that his, he could top out at Andre Iguodala, but Andre Iguodala in his prime was definitely a primary. Maybe that's just me realizing what he is and uh, not envisioning him to be something that he's not. What was your bad for the week? Sitting there watching that uh, ass whooping. Against the Nuggets on primetime TV was pretty bad. I know that for you, it's one of the eight games that you can watch. Aren't you happy you got to see extended minutes from Kelgen and uh, Trendon Watford? See, yeah, the, the lineups with Tony Snell and CJ Ellaby, it, it's, it's, it, it was rough out there. It was definitely a game that TNT should have flexed out with the quickness. And playing on that game, my bad for the week was Portland's perimeter closeout defense uh, just any pump fake and they were flying into the third row that's where I kind of got the point of with no Anthony uh, playing it kind of felt like they were destined to lose and they kind of brought that mentality to the game um, it was just kind of a, a careless lazy defense where they were just trying to block any shot maybe trying to make a highlight reel uh, just non not disciplined at all and it, it's kind of been a bugaboo for the for this team 
this entire season that they look great one night. And then the next night they're, they're losing by 40 points uh, to a team that was without a lot of talent themselves. So um, that's, that's kind of where I go back to the, the earlier statement. The Blazers are kind of in this, this no man's land right now. Um, uncharted waters for sure. Um, what was your ugly for the week? Well, we only played twice, so it's kind of hard to decide what an ugly is. Um, I mean, it's really hard. That there's there's two games they split. The young guys looked good in the games they won. Uh, they clearly looked bad in the game that they were outclassed, out talented. I, I would say that the only thing that I can think of is you're about 25 days away from the trade deadline. I think it could get ugly from a locker room perspective, just in terms of not fisticuffs, but you've got Covington who knows he's probably out Nurkic wondering whether or not he's out. You have CJ and Norm who really have seen their spots stolen by, by Anthony Simons, probably thinking, okay, we're on the block big time. You have got a lot of players on the block. They hear that trade chatter I mean, every podcast you listen to by any NBA insider, whether it's Brian Windhorst or Jake Fisher, Shams, you are hearing Portland is the biggest seller on the block. That that seeps in, especially in the social media era. Even if you're trying to block out noise, even if you have the thickest of skin, I think players have an internal clock that ticks down to the deadline and it could become like really uncomfortable. It just based upon what's going to happen. And if you want to also look at, again, not fighting in the locker room, but in terms of Ants now played as the lead dog all January. Yeah, you're leading C- into something I want to talk about. CJ is about to come back. First of all, shout out to him and his wife, Elise, for having their, their first child, a baby boy. So that was also a good for the week. Norm's about to come back pretty soon from the health and safety protocols. Who is now going to be the alpha? Who is going to take reins of this offense? Who's going to shoot the ball? Who's going to set up their teammates? CJ has probably seniority. Norm's got championship experience. They're both starters. Ant is the guy holding it down now, and I think probably has a lot of the team's faith. I don't know if the Blazers can kick Nas and say, you're going back to the bench and then do the three-guard lineup. What happens? I, I feel like utter chaos is about to rain down on the Rose City in a short amount of time. I think that CJ is going to get the most amount of usage. I think that Norm is going to get the third. I think Ant, even if he's playing limited minutes, is going to do like the Clay Thompson thing and just jack up shots. Like that's that's how I think that they're going to divide usage between the three guards is uh, CJ one, Ant two, but in limited minutes and Norm three. The, the thing about Ant is it isn't a sustained block of efficiency. It's red hot and then kind of cold. So how is he going to, you know, a, a, an actual leash around him? Because when he was playing against, you know, the, the Kings or whatever, he had 40 minutes to make his decisions, make his the wrong decisions, make the right decisions. With CJ McCollum, you can't afford to make that many wrong decisions with the basketball because by default, I think the ball is going to flow to CJ McCollum, especially with this lineup. So it's going to be interesting to see how those three guards are able to play together and if it's going to be like some chaotic mess or are they going to know that CJ is the alpha between the three of them 
and let him be the decision maker. I mean, it, it's a really good tryout for CJ McCollum to be that lead guy for however many games he's going to be the lead guy just to show teams that he can do it. Yeah, I think one would argue he's also been in the league nine years and he's had ample opportunity and he's proven what he, I, you know, he's been playing games. It's not that many, you know, large sample sizes of CJ by himself. It's been like explosion games by CJ, but Dame, you know, Dame's always lurking in the shadows to like be the number one usage player. This is, this might be CJ's longest opportunity of being the oh, alpha it, guy. It definitely is the longest. I was more saying, I think teams know what CJ can do. Like he, he's had chances um, but yes, it, it most certainly is the, the longest stretch of, of games. I'll throw that question back to you. Should the Blazers be, whether it's showcasing or, you know, just saying, CJ, you've, you've put in the work here. You are now going to be the, the lead guard, the basically the alpha again. Should that be the case or should Portland continue to develop Anthony Simons? That's a tough one because there's there's arguments to be made on both sides. Like, you know, Ant's putting up putting up numbers with this large usage rate, but there's no way in hell that that is going to stay a constant when CJ McCollum and Norman Powell are on the floor. If it was me, I bet that CJ McCollum gets the 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 first crack at the large usage, just because of seniority. And he's been on this team his entire career, which, like you said, is nine years. So that's a long time to to be dedicated to a cause. In unfortunate events happen to you. You're going to, because Dave's not here, you're going to be our guy for the next. A game one against Orlando is going to be an interesting test for them. Luckily, Orlando sucks, so they'll probably get the dub if that's what you're looking for. So I, I, I it will be interesting to see, like, the first full rotation. Do you think CJ actually plays like real starters minutes first game back after a punctured lung? Dude, I don't know. This coaching staff was having Damian play 48 minutes after on a back-to-back like 3 days after recovering from his uh first uh abdomen injury. So they they're they're not the the most I mean they're trying to do everything to get the win. So if he's if he's playing well, they're going to they're going to play him as many minutes as possible. I would hope they would have a minutes restriction, but I have zero confidence in this in the staff to make the right decision. Yeah, like they could have a minutes restriction, but like they could say like we're going to play it by ear and if he can actually like run up the, down the court a few times without breathing hard, they're going to play him the the extended run. I I would imagine that Norm whenever he comes back is going to be put in kind of slow just because of covid affects everybody differently so you can't you can't use what happened with uh Yusuf because Yusuf came back and played pretty big minutes and use that same logic to, for Norman or I guess you can if you're the Blazers with Chauncey Billups so but like smart teams uh one thing that I've noticed with smarter teams if they take the the next day off after returning from covid they come back and play actual rotation minutes. But if they don't take that that uh, conditioning day, they play like 15 minutes and kind of suck. So it'll be interesting to see like what we do. And I know like the next two weeks is like a lot of games in a short amount of time. So I don't know if they can actually, that they will think of the long-term effects of Norman Powell 
or just throw him out there and hope that he can play 20 minutes. So that's a lot of guesswork. And, you know, Scotty Brooks and Chauncey Billups will have to make some decisions based on rotation. So you messaged me when I let you know that CJ was coming back and you're like, I hope that doesn't mess up Anthony's confidence. And I wanted to bring that to the table because to me, looking back on Ant's career in Portland, he plays his best when he knows there's nobody over his shoulder, when he's starting, when he's playing 35 minutes a night, when he gets the shots that he needs. And when he is anything else, he kind of struggles. I mean, if you just look at his December and January splits, nine games in December, 26 minutes, he's shooting 33% from the field, getting 11 attempts a night, shooting 33% from three, only getting 10 points, two assists. You go to January, clearly everything has changed. He is the guy, six games in January. The minutes jump up to 38, 12-minute increase. He's now shooting 51% from the field. That's an 18% increase on almost double the usage. He went from 11 shots to 19 shots, shooting 46% from three on, again, over 50% uh, increase. He's now putting up nearly 12 threes a game compared to five, 28 points, and he's uh, quadrupled his assist output, eight compared to two, while also really keeping his turnovers in check. I think Portland needs to be very cautious that they don't mess with the psyche of what looks to be a blossoming prospect who is starting to put potential into production. Do you trust that to actually happen? No, I'm saying if I was the coach, if I was the coach, I wouldn't rock the boat. Anthony, you are the guy. CJ Norm, one of you have to come off the bench. I don't know who it is. Nasir, you've earned your spot. Like I, I think the coach and the GM have to be on the same page. They have to say, we're looking to deal either CJ or Norm or both. And whatever that is needs to get done quick because we know Norm doesn't play well off the bench from everyone in Toronto saying that Norm does not play well off the bench. CJ's not never coming off the bench. He's earned that right to start. And I don't think they're in as much of a hurry to move CJ. He's got a lot, a larger contract. He's been out longer. He's had more of a down year. Norm's played pretty, pretty well up to his, his, his uh, career averages. So I, I think there's more of an onus to get um, CJ going than, than Norm. I think Norm's pretty easily movable, but I, I don't, he, Portland has a good thing going right now. Like the best thing about this season is Anthony Simons and the fact that you could possibly grow with him should you choose to move in a, in a completely young direction like somebody brought this up and portland fans kind of shiver at the mention of jermaine o'neal drafted him 17 18 years old in 1996 everyone said he killed in practice oh he's he's a beast stuck behind sheets Sabonis, bg Never really got an opportunity, but everyone always said he was killing them in practice. Well, Portland went to a win now move. They lost in game seven, as, as everyone knows, trades them for a veteran in Dale Davis, all-star the previous year. Yeah, throw him at Shaq. We, we know how that turned out. Jermaine O'Neal went on to be arguably a Hall of Fame type of, of player in Indiana, uh, one of the best two-way bigs of, of the 2000s. 
And Dale Davis, I think, lasted two or three very mediocre seasons coming off of the bench. I mean, it was one of the worst trades in, in team history. I think unless Portland moves Anthony for a similar young prospect who has shown the same potential, like don't trade him for an over-the-aging, over-the-hill vet. Like I, that's going to kind of bring up old wounds for a lot of fans in Portland. So the Blazers have to be very careful with how they proceed. And it's kind of like you want to thank Neil for drafting Ant, but you also want to punch him in the face because our four best players are all six, four guards and they all kind of do the same exact thing. And you know, Ant is due a payday. This stretch of performance is enough. It's enough. Like there are teams out there with cap space, like, San Antonio's got cap space. And I tell you what, Sage, he next to DeJounte Murray would be disgusting. Would San Antonio give up on uh, White, though? I, I'm just saying that San Antonio has cap space. Orlando has cap space. Ant is from the Orlando area. I know they have a, a they have a glutton of guards, but there are teams out there that can make Portland be like, oh, that 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 is a large offer. So as someone who desperately wants a draft pick, the only the only shining light in the in this season has been the development of Nasir and Anthony. Because you can say, well, at least the young players are the ones that are putting out the production in the victories. It's not veterans, no offense. It's not veterans like Larry Nance or Robert Covington or you know Ben McLemore that, that probably aren't long-term pieces players that are going to grow with the organization. Now, it's a different story if, if Luka Doncic or Kevin Durant comes on the market and those teams are like, we want Ant. That's a completely different story, but that's not going to happen. It's more along the lines of Detroit says, oh, you want Jeremy Grant? We want Anthony Simons. I think that is your Dale Davis. Yeah, that is your Dale Davis, Jermaine O'Neal trade. So Portland needs to approach this with caution. I know they want to win with Dame but they have to figure out the Anthony Simons situation first. And I, I think that's going to be kind of fascinating, terrifying, exciting uh, to watch develop over the course of the second half of the season, especially with the deadline uh, quickly approaching. But if I was uh, Joe Cronin or, you know, just even as a, a fan, a person, you know, following the team, I hope he trades one of the guards norm or cj sooner rather than later one it allows to start two guards in nasir at the three and two it clears some salary off of the books from those guards you can't have four guards combining over 110 million dollars like that, that's not feasible in in the salary cap era i think ants played really really well but i like he's had the perfect opportunity to put up those stats. Like, does he do that on a normal team when COVID isn't ravaging the league? I know this is kind of heartless to say, but is Anthony Simon's value going to get higher than it is currently? I don't disagree with you either. If you want to win with Dame, you can trade Ant. But I'm I'm saying I, I a Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner. No, I want picks. Like I, I don't want aging vets. I don't want a center that looks weird when he runs, like Miles Turner. I don't want Jeremy Grant for Anthony Simon. Like I want young, I want picks. That's not what I want. I don't want like some aging veteran that 
we're going to pretend is really good, but in the, in reality is fine. Like I just don't see Anthony Simons putting up these statistics anytime soon on a regular team. And if the right trade comes along for Anthony Simons, I would do it. And then I guess suck even more for the, for draft picks. Cause he, it, to put your feet to the fire, so to speak, trade deadline is in three, three, four weeks. Can't trade in after, can't trade in for the draft um, during the draft. He's a restricted free agent. So, so would you move him now? Or because if you sign him, you got to basically play the whole season out with yeah, him. Yeah, he, he, it would be really difficult to get traded. Yeah. I would take a top 10 pick for Anthony Simons right now. If uh, San Antonio wanted to kick the tires on Anthony Simons now, I would absolutely do it for their pick. I, I would like draft capital if we're. I would like the right amount of draft capital for Anthony Simons, and if the, if I got it, I would I would make the trade. Um, so, in your eyes, Dame and Ant don't probably well together. I mean, again, you can make it work with perfect team around them, but I don't ever see that happening. So. I mean, like Blazer fans talk about that one time against the Philadelphia Sixers where they almost won, where Dame passed the ball to Ant. Every other time, it just doesn't happen. So I don't particularly think that those two play well together. Well, they both need the ball in their hands. They're both ball dominant. Yeah, and you're not – you're Anthony Simons is sure as hell not taking the ball out of Damian, uh, Damian Lillard's hands in like a clutch time scenario. The last five minutes of the game – it's going to be won or lost by Damian Lillard's hands. It's not going to have any any part of that uh, that finishing five minutes in terms of you know being the primary creator. So, I mean, if the right trade came where you got draft capital and you know a player or whatever, I would do it and I, I would do it relatively quickly. So, what what does Ant have to do on the floor to show that? he's worthwhile to build around like wh- where can he improve throughout the rest of the season H- how can he hit his his ceiling um he has to be really efficient with the ball and i know statistics say that he is but i don't i think that those are really he hasn't shown to me that he is a a, a primary ball handler in terms of like somebody that i trust to make a a read that you have to look for it, but it's there. I don't think that he's at that level of point guard where I trust him to make primary decisions for uh, long stretches of the of the game. I, I think in spurts that he could be the the primary on like a second unit, but I don't. I I, I haven't seen him make those decisions yet with the ball. And I, I I I like the fact that he hasn't committed turnovers, but I think that's because he's not making difficult passes that uh you know, turnovers are a higher chance of happening. So you mentioned him being more efficient just to play devil's advocate in the month, in the month of January, he is shooting uh, 50, 40, 90 splits in 30, in 38 minutes of action. So he's getting a lot of usage. Mm -hmm. Do you want to see those numbers with another player who's probably going to take some usage away from him? Or I, I, I think everything's going to regress the the second that there's better players on the court. There is a decision point when you have to choose between Anthony and CJ McCollum or Norman Powell to take that shot. When it's Tony Snell, you kind of made that decision for yourself with the lineup that's put out there. 
So he's he's been the shining star when we're dealing with the COVID lineups or the injury lineups. Let's see what happens when he plays with actual good players and see if he can still put up those numbers like legitimate starter quality players on the court with him. Cause he just hasn't had it in the, in, during these runs, the best player is Yusuf Nurkic to go along with him. So there's a lot of questions still to be answered about Ant in terms of, is he a star or is he a really good role player or is he just on a ridiculous hot streak? So He's been really explosive for a lot of the games, but I just got to see it when there's actual legitimate players next to him. If Portland does the unthinkable, they get lottery luck. They get the number one pick. Ant continues his hot streak. Nasir shows growth. You've got Ant Nas, Jabari Smith. Do you do the unthinkable and move Dame and just say, we've got a really good young core. Let's just get as much. Let's just, this, this, we're cool resetting with this core. It's got to be for the right offer. You know, you're not doing it for Ben Simmons and the poo-poo platter that Philadelphia is offering. But if the right offer comes, then you, you got to think about it. I don't know if Cronin has the balls to do it. I don't know if I have the balls to do it. Because there's a lot of, like, as, as a gambler, when you're trying to make decisions on things, if there's a lot of what-ifs and buts in that statement, you probably shouldn't put money on it. So I can't put money on that if Javar, if we get Javari Smith and if we re-sign Ant and if Nas continues to show development and then we trade CJ and Norm, like that's a lot of what ifs to that statement. But if given the right offer, I would absolutely think long and hard about it. So one player that you mentioned was Norman Powell. He's been in rumors more than I had anticipated as the season had started. One team, your other team, the New Orleans Pelicans, have been rumored to be kind of infatuated with him. New Orleans has a, a trade exception. For Blazer fans listening, what are some pieces that Portland should covet in any return package for Norman Powell? Josh Hart, I think, would be the uh, – I, I, I don't think that they trade Trey Murphy. I don't think they trade Herbert Jones because you have to give up so much. If you trade Herbert Jones, you have to get Sato and you have to get, you know, other players. I think Josh Hart is the easiest line to getting a good return offer. So it'd be picks and Josh Hart, I would imagine, because they've already invested a lot in Trey and Herb. So, I, and I mean, Josh Hart, they've invested a lot as well, but I feel like Josh Hart and then an expiring Sato would probably be the, the, the first offer and then probably a pick or two. Would you say the Pelicans? So looking at looking at the standings right now, the teams below Portland, you have Sacramento, who has the longest current playoff drought in, in the NBA. They have not made the playoffs since 2006. You have San Antonio. You have New Orleans, who a little bit underachieving, but they've been without Zion Williamson the entire season. And then you have Oklahoma City and Houston, two teams that everyone kind of projected to be in that bottom. Sage, is there any team that, I mean, it just feels like a weird year to be in the plan. And I don't know if any team is going to quote unquote catch Portland. I fear that New Orleans does because they try too hard. Do you think there is 
there are reports out there that uh, David Griffith, the GM, feels Griffin. pressure. To, Griffin feels pressure to win. Do you think that is kind of the motive behind these Norman Powell rumors? Maybe, but honestly, I feel like David Griffin should show pressure um, last year to get Zion Williamson and uh, all NBA uh, on the all NBA team more so than winning this year when Zion most likely isn't going to step on the floor for a new Orleans Pelican. Like that's the biggest excuse ever. Like, yeah, we didn't have our all-stars power forward this entire year. Like let's tank. Like that's a, that's a perfect excuse for why if Zion got third team all NBA instead of Julius Randall, things would be looking a lot higher for new Orleans. The fact that he didn't get an all-star or uh, all NBA means that he, we, they can't offer him the supermax. Like that's humongous, and he's not playing this year. So how are the New Orleans Pelicans gonna show money, like all the money in the world, to Zion? I don't think Norman Powell is gonna sway his mind, like if he's going to leave or not. So if it was me in that position, I wouldn't make a trade for Norman. I would try and tank and hope to God that I get Jabari Smith. What benefit does making it to the play on playing and losing either in the plan? Or losing to the Warriors or Suns the first round do for the confidence of the a very young inexperienced team like it it it's negligible and you don't have Zion so it's like you're gonna lose and it's gonna be an embarrassing like sweep and you miss out on a draft pick you miss out on your draft pick and you have to worry about the Lakers like how incompetent are the Sacramento Kings? I ask because they haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. Uh, Portland beat them. Uh, They were nearly at full strength. We were almost at, I think, 25% strength. We had a lot of players out of the lineup and still handled the Kings. And I go back and I'm like, oh, the Blazers have made the playoffs eight straight years. Yeah, it's easy to make the playoffs. It's not that hard. And yet you have the Kings that just – is it just a culture of losing? Is it just like? What but they drafted shitty. Let's let's not even mention Marvin Bagley over who. But like, who are I, the I three agree. best players? No, no. I a hundred percent agree. Their drafting has been bad, but they should be ahead of Portland in the standings given every injury that Portland has has dealt with. But they've also had to deal with Luke Walton. Is, I mean, we had to deal with Chauncey Billups, so yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, our but is, I, is I think it, that the draft, their drafting, I feel like what the Blazers have done with getting the four best players to be guards hasn't negatively affected Damian Lillard. Yeah, but drafting Tyrese Halliburton and then Davion Mitchell back to back has fucked up De'Aaron Fox's uh, game because every statistic is down this year, and he's not like. They're treating Halliburton as the, the 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 star, so they've they've underachieved, and then they've made it abundantly clear to anybody watching that Halliburton is going to be their star player. So it it it's a bad look on De'Aaron, and then you know De'Aaron has his faults like any other player, but his faults are magnified when he's not getting the ball as much. So if the Sacramento Kings are smart, they trade De'Aaron and try and make a run with uh, Halliburton and Davion. So we are coming up on the trade deadline. I know 
you and I both want to get more draft capital for the Portland Trailblazers, and that's what we would like to see. We have, we have, however, seen Portland rumored to land Miles Turner, Jeremy Grant, those caliber of players. And, and I was messaging you, it feels weird for a team that is trying to lose to add more talented players, whether that's for the future, but could mess up your draft pick this year. How how does Joe Cronin balance that out? When you are you just looking for the best deal possible, or are you putting more weight on? Well, I'd really rather have this pick, or I, or you know, fuck it, I don't care, or like I don't care if we miss the make the playoffs. Like this player can help me win next year. How how does he balance that out? I think he's playing both sides of the fence, just like Neil O'Shea. We've said it a long time. You have to pick your side and follow through on it. He's. I mean, it's it's clear that this year isn't as important by the decisions that they've made. But then you're rumored to uh, try and get, you know, a fourth starter level player. So it doesn't make sense. It's it feels like it's Neil O'Shea all over again. No, and and I get it that rumors don't mean trades that are happening, and I think that's important to to talk about because you know it's it's speculation a lot of the time like if Woj Neil and Woj had a connection where th- he would leak stuff to him but you know like the Blazers have been notoriously tight-lipped and now that we're seeing all of these trades it doesn't make sense if the goal is to develop players and get a draft pick to trade probably that draft pick for a player that is g- at, at, at peak value, the fourth or fifth option on the team. Like, Miles Turner would be great, but don't get it twisted. He would be the fourth or fifth option on this Blazer team. He's the same caliber as Yusuf Nurkic. He just does some some things better and some things worse. Yeah, he's a better shot blocker and three-point shooter, but he's an awful rebounder. So we've been doing a lot of future Fridays, uh, recapping games of top prospects, seeing how they can translate to the NBA, how they could potentially fit with the Trailblazers providing comps. Sage, right now the Blazers are slated to pick 10th in the draft. If the draft were today, give our listeners one or two names in that area that you would be absolutely thrilled with if they were to land. Oh, uh, can I say the seventh pick? Because AJ Griffin's probably my... He's eight, so I think you can go yeah. plus or plus or minus two. Yeah, okay. Uh, AJ Griffin, I think, is the type of wing that fits with everybody, and we've been talking a lot about fit recently. I think AJ Griffin is. I mean, this is gonna ruin our uh, comps, but I think that his seventy fifth percentile is Jimmy Butler on the Bulls. That so, them those two as athletes are super super similar. Like you know, Jimmy's like his his. His legs, his the the bottom half of his body is super duper strong. You see that with AJ. So I I, I feel like the perfect comp is uh, is Jimmy Butler and his father coached on the Bulls team. So those two spent time together. They're they're like legitimately friends. So so he's a six six wing from Duke. Duke. Uh, currently averaging about eight points, uh, three boards per game. Again, that Duke team is absolutely well, he, loaded. He, he uh. He hurt his knee um, coming at, like at, he sprained his knee. So they're being really careful with him. But uh, the last game they played against Wake Forest, I think he played 38 minutes. So they're finally ramping him up. Um, you see the intelligence, like being the son of a 
uh, of a coach. You see the intelligence, how he plays defense, the skill set offensively. He's kind of like the wing version of God. There's there's somebody on the tip of my tongue, but I don't want to say it. But he's like the wing version of Draymond, where he fits with everybody. He's a really good passer for his position. We'll do a future Friday on him pretty soon, but he would be number one. And then Johnny Davis, I think, would be a really nice player to have. Um, kind he of, a, he is a Wisconsin Badger. He uh, defends at a really high level. Um, he shoots really well. He he shoot. He's a three level scorer. And um, I we, I watched the Wisconsin game oh, against Purdue, and he was just shitting on Jalen Ivy, Jaden Ivy, who's fourth on uh, Tankathon. Uh, he's going to be a very good off-ball uh, guard that has a lot of sh- uh, shooting equity. And then the fourth guy, if we continue to win games, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is like a. Michael Porter Jr. type uh, wing with excellent shooting ability. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like a top 10 shooter uh, throughout his career. Yeah, 6'10", plays for, I believe, his father at the University of Milwaukee, uh, averaging 13 and a half, 6.5 boards. So those are some great names. The, the, the draft is fluid. I think aside, aside from the top three, there's going to be a lot of risers and fallers in that draft it's been really fun to get to know a lot of the players um next friday's episode will be chet holmgren uh the biggest i think boomer bus prospect i can remember watching sage we have a really good fan question that i'm excited to get your take on and kind of go back and forth with you uh it was from at pete underscore normal uh pete wants to know how do we best tank for this season while significantly improving next season? Does it make sense to try and collect picks for Covington, Nurkic, McCollum right now at the deadline, and then hope we can flip flip those for an all-star this summer? So I think that's a option that Cronin is thinking about. What I would like to do instead of trying to package our picks for a star is use those picks in this draft. I think that there are a lot of quality basketball players. Um, I think that Robert Covington is an absolute, yes, we're going to trade him for whatever, whatever draft capital we can get. I feel the same with Yusuf, even though I've enjoyed the way he plays, I think CJ McCollum, unless the perfect trade happens, I think the most optimal time to trade him is at the summer not right now because teams have already made the decision whether to go all in or tank. So you want to have as many offers as possible for CJ McCollum because he has been such a fixture in the franchise and is still a very good player. So if I had my druthers about it, the first two players would be traded and then CJ will probably get traded at the, uh, the when you can in the summer, like he'd be the first big domino of, summertime off-season basketball yeah i think first and foremost portland needs to move covington and nurkic for capital uh some analysts or insiders out there predicted portland could could haul uh a similar 
return that the Atlanta Hawks did when they traded Cam Reddish to the Knicks for a protected first round pick from the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, seems like you'll probably get a mid twenties, maybe low twenties pick for Cub. I think you take a first, and if you can get under the luxury tax while doing so, that is a massive bonus. I've always, over the last recent, last few recent episodes, the number one goal is to get under the luxury tax. It opens up the mid level exception, the full mid level, which is a fantastic avenue to you know really retool the team for next year without impacting your draft status this year. So I think those are some moves that that Cronin should look at. In terms of Nurkic, I kind of go back and forth. I definitely want to move him. I think he's had his time in Portland. We've seen who he is and who he can be. On the other hand, I don't think you just want to give him up either. Um, But that comes with a risk, right? You could lose him for nothing. Or you could lose him for absolutely nothing. Um, so, So that is the risk. So. I do think you could extract a first out of of Yusuf Nurkic. Um, You're right. I think you're right in the head with CJ. I don't think they're going to move him at the deadline. I I would be really surprised. I I haven't heard. Again, it really depends. Everyone is saying that Neil Olshay held CJ in high regard, and I think that's pretty believable. So So it really depends on what those offers are and what Joe Cronin is looking like. I do think at the, the, in the summer, if you were to move McCollum, his contract is a lot more digestible. There's only two years left rather than, you know, two and a half, but the name I keep coming back to there's there, there's two, two names, uh, Larry Nance jr. And Norman Powell. I don't think both players fit in long-term. I think if you can, kind of right the wrong that was making the deal this summer with Chicago and Cleveland packaging that pick for Nance. I think if you can get a first for Larry Nance, you, you do that trade and just kind of, you know, thank the basketball gods that you were able to kind of reverse that nothing against Larry Nance. He does not put Portland over the top. I don't know how he fits as a, as a, as a small four or five um, who doesn't really space the floor. Norm's an interesting one. It's unfortunate we moved Gary. And looking back, I think Portland would most likely rather go the younger route and keep Trent Jr. in Portland. He's got a long-term deal, which I think is still uh, viewed positively around the league. And Norm's contract will look good as the salary cap continues to rise. But I don't know if, if you're going with the Dame and Ant route, Norm can't be the three. And if you and if you can get a first for Norm, and kind of get out of that contract and free up some money, I think you do so. So, I mean, I tried to blow it up as much as possible at the deadline with with Nance, with Rocco, with Nurk and Powell. See what you can get for CJ, but don't just trade him to trade him. I think you need to um, be careful with that, and just kind of hope that the chaos allows for the team to lose. Um, and then you are improving the team next season because you have much more flexibility. We talked about the mid-level. I mean, if you make those moves, you've got four or five picks that are now in your, your war chest that you're able to use. You can start to look at players that you want to go out and get and, and win with Dame, or you could completely blow it up, or you can move 
it just gives you a, a lot of options. And that's what, what teams want. They want picks and they want prospects. So uh, if Portland can lower their long-term salary, that, that's a big win. And I think just try to find players that are going to fit, whether it's with Ant or whether it's with Dame, find players that are going to fit. And um, as I mentioned, I just don't think Larry Nance, I don't think, I, I just don't think any of those players, Nance, Nurk, Cove, Powell, I, I don't think they're long-term fits. It's it's unfortunate. When we got Norm, I thought he was a fit, but three guards ain't going to work. That that team has kind of ran its course. So you kind of just have to hit that reset and, and see, see what else is out there. Maybe you trade, you know, our guys for your guys, change the scenery, and, and we'll see what works best. But from all intents and purposes, Portland is viewed as a major seller take back short contracts, get as many picks as possible. Um, maybe get a young prospect that needs a new, uh, new, new life. And you get that, you know, an extended look at them over the second half of the season. And you can make a judgment uh, when it comes summertime, like, Oh, we really liked him. He, he lived up to the hype. Let's sign him. Or, you know, we took a flyer on him. You know, we, we've seen Portland do that multiple times. With yeah. Noah Vonley. Noah Vonley, Mo Harkless, Thomas Robinson, what is the minimum you would take for Norman Powell? Because I feel like that's the one positive asset. But, like, what is the bare minimum to get Norman Powell out of Portland? I mean, I, I would love a player on a shorter-term contract. Uh, I would take Josh Hart in a first-round pick in, a, in an instant. Josh Hart is young enough that he can – young enough that if you build around Ant, he can grow with Ant. But talented enough that if you want to go with Dame, he, he can step in there and play. Um, Powell, Powell is a win now player. Powell is a guy you bring in if you need that last missing piece. And an unfortunate, Powell needs the ball in his hands too. I mean, in games this year when he's been his most effective, he's putting the ball on the floor and getting to the cup. It's a skill set the Blazers desperately need. But when you also have Dame, CJ, and Ant, they all need the ball in their hands as well. So it's going to be all about Joe Cronin finding the archetypes that fit around whichever player that they decide is going to lead this team. I mean, it's, it's an extremely fluid situation and um, I expect there to be a, a lot of change. I mean, like I was never the biggest uh, Larry Nance guy on the Blazers. So yeah, adding him into the potential trade list would yeah, be, I, I, I think Portland would be insane if they kept Nance on the books, I know he's got a pretty good contract, but I mean, you got to re try to reverse history and get that first back for Larry. See if there's a team that feels like they're close. Yeah, it's you got to just target teams. Yeah. It's nothing against Nance. He's just not a good fit for this system. And I, I'm not in favor of trading first round picks for bench players. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I don't think it's a, a sound strategy. I think you can find those players in, in, free agency i think you can find those players by a trade um without giving up those assets like you can be pretty shrewd about it um larry nance was a quote-unquote hot name and again just like with covington he was Portland, injured all year like how was he always name he's always injured he and yeah. that was the, that was the big question coming into the season cody zeller and larry nance jr can't play together in the they, i mean the games. and like, I don't want to be accused of an anti-Larry Nance. I loved him in Cleveland. Like, I bought a top shot, that got a low serial top shot of him. I thought he was awesome. 
He's just isn't awesome with the skill set surrounding him. Don't you think the Bulls could use Larry Nance? Yes. Like, yes. like Pat Will's out. They're using uh, Derek Jones Jr. He's also the, now out. Yeah, like, do they really give a shit about the 26th pick in the draft? Well, no, they have Demar. They, when you trade with the Blazers, you, you when you trade lottery protected picks with the Blazers, they likely end up in the low teens. So mm-hmm. it, it probably could be the 15th or 16th pick in the trap. The Bulls are win now. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think I think that is a, a logical trade partner. A three-team deal where you move Nance, you get your pick back, they send Derek Jones Jr. to a third team, and you just kind of make the salaries uh work out. Portland. If Portland can get, I mean, you're looking at four or five first round picks that that frees you up. And I mean, like if you wanted to package picks for a player, you actually have the capital to do so instead of we don't have a first round pick until 2028 in theory. No, if we miss the playoffs for the next five years. Shit. Yeah, you're right. But still same thing. Yeah. Like. You're either we, we can't trade yeah. future picks right now. You cannot. You're you. It's 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 like being in the luxury tax. You've got kind of one hand tied behind your back, and so I just I'm open to flexibility. Um, we saw what happened when Neil went, you know, crazy with the with the Bucks in 2016, just handed them out like nobody's business. Well, it really hampered our ability to get assets. I mean, remember when Portland actually had flexibility? We were able to take on Anderson Barajal's contract and get a first round pick out of it. It, it sets you up like you you need this type of of flexibility. I think there are a few teams to watch. Uh, I mentioned New Orleans with their trade exception. Oklahoma City is actually significantly under the salary floor, which means if they don't hit a minimum salary, their owner has to shell out checks to their current players, equally paid out until they get to that minimum floor. So they are very active. So, you know, they're probably going to be like, okay, like how can we get a second round pick out of taking salary? Cause they have to pay a minimum salary regardless. So that's, that's an interesting team to look at. You mentioned Chicago. They are first or second in the East. They are win now. Um, I don't think that draft pick, whatever they get is going to play right away. They've got their starting five set. Um, and they've already got a couple young players in Kobe White. Kobe White can't get run on that team. Pat Williams is hurt. So they can get a guy that can put them over the top, that can guard, help guard Giannis, help guard Kevin Durant. Yeah, go for it, Chicago. And another passer, because depending on Lonzo Ball to be your lead facilitator, might, might be helpful to have that secondary playmaker or that tertiary playmaker. So... Yeah, Larry Nance to that team would be great for just our pickback, honestly, for flexibility. But like, whatever it may be, like, I would love for us to have that flexibility. And I know it seems like we're just, you know, taking all of our good players and trading them. But at this point in the year, it's kind of like we need to do something other than what we've been doing. Well, I think it's also pretty evident that our good players don't complement one another. So you can have as many good players as you want, but if they don't fit, you're really kind of stuck on this perpetual treadmill that the Blazers have been on. Yeah, good we've been kicking the to, can down the road for a long yeah, time. Yeah, just good enough to sneak in, but not bad enough to to do anything in the lottery. And you're not scaring anybody once you're in there. So like, 
again, Portland's in a very precarious position where I think there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's also excitement from, from a fan perspective. Like it's the trade deadline's always one of the funnest times of the year for me. The speculate, especially during a pandemic, it kind of can, it can kind of take your mind off of things um, coming up with trades, seeing that the latest, you know, uh, scuttlebutt and putting together trades and seeing like what teams could, could use what, but Sage going into this week, Portland will finish their uh, six game road trip. They have road games uh, Monday in Orlando, Wednesday in Miami, Friday in Boston and Sunday to cap the trip in Toronto. Um, Magic loaded with a bunch of talent, but it's not helping them win any games. They are an abysmal eight and 36 by far the worst team in the league one and nine in their last 10. They've won just two of 17 games at home. Sage, why are they so trash? Well, they've dealt with a lot of injuries like Cole Anthony, Wendell. Oh shit. Wendell Carter. Carter. Sorry, I've had Wendell Moore on my on my mind. Wendell Carter Jr. And Mo Bamba's been hurt. I don't know if they played in the last day and a half, but I remember Bamba being out and Carter being out and them starting Rob, Robin Lopez for we, we knew uh have a lot of players that are injured. Um Jalen Suggs just returned from injury, I think, this week. They have some talent, but they've always been injured. They've always had a long list of players on that injury report that haven't played a single second this year to kind of like Zion. So they, they've been hurt. They've been bad. They're really, really successful at tanking. The players that you have to worry about if he plays, because I know he's had that ankle problem for a long time, is Cole Anthony. He played on Saturday, 27 minutes. When he's on the court, like he makes that team respectful, Rex respectable. When he's off the court, they're like the worst team ever. He is the reason that they're semi-competent have won eight games. So Cole Anthony can absolutely put buckets on the uh, on the on the board, depending on who their starting center is. Like I, I feel like Yusuf Nurkic can dominate Robin Lopez or Mo Bamba. I mean, like he'll just push him, push him down in the paint. So I expect used uh, to have a big game. It's going to be interesting with the guards with CJ coming back for this Orlando game. So that's going to be interesting. But uh, I, I I would expect this game to be a win unless just COVID decimates us. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like this game has the makings of a shit show. To be to be quite honest, you've got the Orlando Magic, who kind of remind me of the Sacramento Kings of the East. They have just a glut of guards. Suggs, who they drafted. RJ Hampton, who they traded for last year. They have Terrence Ross, who is a walking, you know, bucket, but also wants to shoot every time he touches the ball. They have Cole Anthony, who is a second year star. Uh, Gary Harris, who they traded for and is starting because they're probably trying to uh, amplify his value. They have so many guards and Portland is bringing back CJ McCollum and it can be, it can throw a wrench into things because the, the current team was used to playing with a current set of guys. And now you've got somebody coming in who is coming in to start, coming in to take usage, coming in to take shots. And then you're probably welcoming Norman Powell either against the Magic or the Heat, and that throws another kind of wrench into the system. Yeah, it it takes a while to get acquainted. So, I mean, nothing would surprise me on this trip. 
Uh, Miami got a big boost when they got Bam out of bio back. Um, this is a Did team Jimmy that... play recently because he's had the butt injury, and then I think it was like a finger. Well, it's his tailbone, so it is his butt. He is not on their injury list on uh, basketballreference.com. He wasn't a late scratch. He actually played when I played Saturday. So yeah, he he he's finally off the injury report. He's been hurt a long time this year. I mean, do they play before us? Because there's a legitimate chance he gets hurt again. Because he he just cannot stay on the floor. But having they play uh, Monday, okay, having Bam back is just going to be so useful. He's he's one of those special bigs that. He he may be undersized at six eight six nine, but just the 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 activity that he shows is going to be a big trouble for for us. Yeah, I think for Portland when they played in Portland, it was a lot of the Heat role players, whether it was Duncan Robinson or Max Struess. Uh, they just went off from Didn't downtown. Didn't have a really good game because Kyle Lowry got kicked. Carl Lowry got kicked out. Hero shot like five of 23. Yes. I, he shot a lot, but did not make it. And Jimmy Butler did not play. So it was a lot of role players that got it done for Miami. And now that Bam is back, um, that's going to no be no more year at seven. Up next, we're looking at the Boston Celtics, a team that has been uh, disappointing to say the least. They're 500 on the year, but that is out of even the plan in the Eastern conference, they are 14 and eight at home. They still have some high top end talent, but they've also probably have some moving parts as well. They're probably going to be looking to move Dennis Schroeder at the deadline. Oh, absolutely. Um, he obviously everyone remembers turning down the major extension with the Lakers only to sign a one year, $6 million uh, exception with the Celtics. They do have some pieces though, Sage. So they are dangerous. I mean, the one thing that's been surprising to me about the uh, Celtics this year, Al Horford's play, like in the beginning of the year, he was dominant and now he sucks. Well, Sage, he was drafted back in 2007. So I don't, I don't think that's uh, anything unexpected. He's old. He is. He's as old as dirt, but he, he put, when he is feeling good, he can still be a very, very valuable player on the court. Um, I mean, in the early year, in the early part of the year, he was, making Robert Williams look expendable. Now Robert Williams is very much in the rotation and doing Robert Williams things. But obviously the Celtics have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like those two are going to be a humongous problem. We don't have a single player that can stop them. Well, maybe Nasir, but like there's only one of him. I expect one of those two to have an amazing game against us just because we don't have the players to defend them. I mean, they're coming off a really impressive two-point victory over the Bulls. Every single starter scored at least 14 points. They got 13 off the bench from Josh Richardson. So they have a lot of balance. I think they can hurt you in a lot of ways. They've got defense with Robert Williams uh, down low. They're, they've been playing big lately with Tatum at the three and Williams and Horford up front. Uh, they've got good bench players. Richardson, as mentioned, uh, young players in Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard. And then there's always Ennis, uh, who is. Yeah, Marcus Smart entered the protocols on the 14th, so he probably – he might be there. I mean, it's hard to say, but you, you just don't know anymore. But they're, they're still very balanced, um, not up to expectations, but a, a team that, that I think when you looked at this road trip might be one of the more tougher opponents on the slate for Portland. Yeah, they can, get, they can absolutely get busy against the probably three-guard lineup. 
And then last on the road trip, it concludes with a trip up north in Toronto. Um, I would put money that CJ McCollum does not play this game. Why? Because potential COVID risks. I bet you that they, that he and Norman probably are in whatever city the next game is in. Portland? Oh, then, yeah, they, they would both be at home in Portland. Because I, I like, from what I've been seeing about teams going into Toronto, they don't like bringing their full team just, be, just in case something happens COVID-wise. So if I was a betting man, I don't think I see CJ and probably not Norm. But maybe Norm because of the relationships he has. But, like, I don't think I see CJ. I mean, getting across the border is difficult. So, and then, and they've been, President has been fucking amazing. They had a great win against the Bucks on Saturday. Uh, Spicy P went off for 30, 24 from OG. Uh, Freddie gave him 17 and seven. That's an, uh, Freddie's been getting like 30 a game for the last yeah. few weeks. He's like $10,000 on FanDuel. Crazy. Former fan favorite Gary Trent is day to day with an ankle, so I would assume he would be back. I mean, this game's almost a, a week away. Scotty Barnes uh, was on the injury report. I know he played, but Scotty Barnes was on the injury report. Mm-hmm. He did not dress. He wasn't listed in the tankathon or the basketball reference, but he, did, he didn't dress. So again, that's another player who played really well <laughs> against Portland in Portland earlier this year. If if um, Gary Trent doesn't play, expect Steve McCaleb to soak up those minutes or. Uh... Yes, I mean Scotty's been on that injury report as well. So if either of those are gone, expects Fee to take that that starting job. I actually really worry about Freddie Van Fleet because if I remember right, he went off against us in that Toronto game against us in Portland. Like I think he he kept them in the game. Uh, yeah, he had sixteen. It was OG with twenty nine. Oh, really? I felt like the fourth quarter was off ready, but he had some clutch shots down the stretch. They got really great production from their starting five. Uh, Freddie's 16 was actually the lowest output from their starting five that game, but their bench only came up with 12 points. So that probably was precious or was it uh spicy P that started? Yeah. At center. Pascal, Pascal Siakam, 26, 20 and six and six. So six boards, six assists. Do they have the balls to trace? Uh, Pascal. I think if they do, it's got to be where you get multiple picks in a prospect. Because Scotty, OG, and Pascal Siakam—that's a lot of that's a lot of—and Gary Trent—that's a lot of wings for uh forty-eight times two, however many minutes that is for a game. Ninety-six. Ninety-six. Woo! But yeah, you know, like that's a lot of wings for that those two positions. And right now the Raptors have won seven of their last 10. They are an eighth in the, in the Eastern Conference and, and moving uh, steadily up the ladder. So, you know, it really could be a summertime decision for Toronto, how well they fare in the playoffs. And, you know, Masai Ujiri is never one to kind of he rest has, on the world. He has some big old balls to make some trades. It's a nice uh, visual there. Thanks. You know, when uh, in South Park, when Stan's dad wanted to give himself, yeah, just the, the 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 uh, wheelbarrow with test by with his that carries his testicles. That's Ujiri. I think that's a great time to uh, <laughs> wrap this bad boy up. Sage, let our listeners know where they can find us at. 
We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, two to three. And you can see, oh, you can hear me on Terrestrial Radio, Tuesdays, one to two for this week on uh, X-Ray FM with friend of the show, Ryan Buchanan. I am going to be his guest host and derail conversation like I do here. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.